Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. They made this decision by faith to relocate to Jerusalem some 90 years earlier. And now their descendants, the next generation, is on the receiving end of the blessing of their decision to do that. You see where I'm going with this, right? This to me speaks to the importance of making godly decisions when it comes to the ramifications for the generations that follow. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. We try to make long-range decisions with our children in mind, but honestly, we mainly hope it works out for them because we probably won't be around. Pastor J.D. will be teaching from a passage in Nehemiah where it is inferred that a decision some Israelites made to leave exile and return to their homeland worked out well for their descendants. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. I'll have you turn to Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to, Lord willing, do both chapters tonight, 11 and 12. All right, let's jump in. Verse 1. Now, The leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly, keyword, offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So interesting start to the chapter. We're told that there were those who were willing to essentially give up the comfortable lives that they had, even though they were in captivity. Many, it's believed, own homes there in Persia. And now they're going to, of their own volition, move to Jerusalem in order to dwell there. And the reason for this is because they were keenly aware of how vulnerable they were to enemy attack because, remember now, only 2% of those that were in captivity actually made the exile, left Persia, and moved to Jerusalem. And we're going to see about this again tonight. The first move was under Zerubbabel and only 2%, and that is not enough people. And in that day, militarily, you were dangerously vulnerable to enemy attack. I find it interesting, though, that we're told that they were blessed because they did this. Don't miss this, please, because this is really important. The fact that they would up and move and leave family, many of them, leave homes, leave property, leave everything, their livelihood. Keep in mind that um, many of them were actually born in exile, born in captivity. That's all they've known. They have never beheld with their eyes the holy city of Jerusalem, the place that they're now by faith going to go to. 
And this is why we're told that they were blessed because of it. This is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 29. Listen to what Jesus promised. He says, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or this doesn't mean you leave your wife or your husband, or fields for my sake, listen, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. It's been said, and it's so true, that God will be a debtor to no one. Maybe you've heard it said this way, God's got a bigger shovel. In other words, we give or we give up for the Lord. We make sacrifices to the Lord. Well, He's not going to be a debtor to anybody. He's got a bigger shovel on the other end and you will receive a blessing because of it. Verse 3, on through verse 34. Don't lose heart. I'm not going to read all of these names. If I do or I try to, I will certainly butcher every single one of them. But we have a list of names. We're also given the numbers of the Israelites, the priests, the Levites, the Nethanim, and their descendants, all of those who made this, by faith, move, this massive move to go to Jerusalem and start all over. We talked about this in chapter 9, that we have lists like this for us in God's Word for a reason. and We know, according to Second Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed, and that it's there for a reason. God never puts anything or has anything recorded in the pages of Holy Writ just to record it. It's there for a reason, and I believe one of the reasons we have lists like this is because God takes notice. God takes notice of those by name, by name, those who are willing to, as these Israelites did, lay everything on the line. Just this, as Oswald Chambers calls it, I love it, reckless abandon. A reckless abandon, a total surrender. I was reflecting on when we left the mainland to come here, my wife and I, with our two boys at the time, very young, five and three. Elias was five, Levi was three. And it was scary. And I think I've shared this before. And we had a church that was established. We owned our own building, our own property. We had a nice home, and everything was very comfortable. And We just sensed that God was calling us here, and it was really a step of faith. I learned very quickly, I like to think I would be a quicker learner, but I learned very quickly to trust God in ways that I had never trusted Him before. And I remember sharing with some brothers in Christ that had supported me and prayed for me and were just there for me. Uh, I remember telling them that, you know, uh, I'm going to go. I really believe God's calling me to go. 
And I, I said uh, what Esther said to Mordechai, if I perish, I perish. <laughs> and they, they laughed. And <laughs> why are you laughing? No, I really mean that. This is something I'm learning in my uh, walk with the Lord. I would rather take a step of faith and have it not be the Lord than not take a step of faith when all along it was the Lord. Let me say it this way. I never want to be anywhere where God isn't. I never want to be anywhere where God hasn't called me to be. And so I just was reflecting on how God has Bless that. You know, we're, we're told by the writer of Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please God. I'm reminded of uh, the account in the Gospels. You remember when Jesus was just, if I could use the word astonished, not saying that, you know, the Savior of the world was surprised, but he took notice of this faith from this centurion that said, listen, I, I have men, a centurion was someone who had a hundred men under him. That's why they call them centurions. He said, all I have to do is just say the word and it's done. All you have to do is just say the word and my uh, child will be healed. And Jesus just like stops everything. He says, hey, did you, did you, I have not seen faith like this anywhere. And it was because of that, that his prayer was answered and his child was healed. What is it about faith that God is so pleased with and so moved by? If it's impossible to please God without faith, then that means that it is possible to please God with faith. I I imagine God never being more pleased than when we as His children trust Him and step out by faith. I think He finds it irresistible. He can't deny Himself. I think it's 2 Timothy again, 2.13. Someone's going to check me on this and rebuke me if I'm wrong. But it basically, uh, Paul says this, when we're faithless, he is faithful. And he says, why? Because he cannot deny his name, his nature. Am I right? I'm not completely losing it. <laughs> I was, you know, it is 2 Timothy 2.13. Oh, thank you, Lord. I got something right. So even when we're faithless, remember the guy that had a demon-possessed boy, and his disciples, you know, tried to cast the demon out, and he brings his boy to Jesus and says, Jesus, <laughs> uh, your disciples couldn't do this. I don't know what's up with that, but my boy's demon-possessed. He's thrown involuntarily into the fire. The demons try to burn him alive, and they try to kill him, and he's been like this, you know, since birth, and, you know, please help me. He's pleading with Jesus to do something. He says to Jesus, take pity on me. And it's really interesting what Jesus' response is, something to this effect. He says, if you can, and Jesus almost repeats back to him and says, You mean, if you can? What? Do you believe? And and he says this. (laughs) I find myself praying this quite often. 
I do believe, but help my unbelief. And with that, Jesus casted the demon, demons, out of this man's, this father's uh, boy, this father's son. And then the disciples come up to him afterwards and say, uh, so Lord, um, okay, we tried and it didn't work. It's kind of like we made it even worse. So what, why couldn't we do this? And then Jesus responds and says, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. A humbling of oneself before the Lord, which, by the way, is the common denominator when it comes to prayer and fasting. You could, throughout Scripture, see the connection, connect the dots between humbling oneself before the Lord and fasting. That's what fasting is. It's a humbling of oneself. And when we humble ourselves, when we put our trust in the Lord, I really believe that the Lord finds that just irresistible. He, I know this isn't proper English, but he can't not respond. I know it's a double negative, I think they call it. He can't not respond. When we show that kind of faith and put that kind of trust in the Lord, and we say, you know what, Lord, I give you my all. I give you my all. I'm all in. It's all or nothing. <laughs> and we take faith risks faith risks. This isn't blind faith. No, this is intelligent faith. And we take risks based on our faith in the Lord. And we're all in. This is Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Then he, speaking of Jesus, said to them all, if anyone does, we don't like these uh, types of uh, uh, scriptures. Because Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And then here's this word, daily, every day, and follow me. And then he says this, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake We'll save it. In other words, you try to live your life for yourself. You try to save your life for yourself instead of lose your life for Him. Well, then you end up creating the very thing that you're trying to avoid in so doing. Jim Elliott, the famous martyr missionary, was quoted as saying famously, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's how it works in God's economy. There's another less famous quote of his, which I really like, and I want to share it with you, and I hope you'll be as blessed by it as I was. Wherever you are, be all there. Let me say it again. Wherever you are, be all there. Paul would say it this way, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Do all or nothing. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Oh, would to God that we would get to that place in our lives as Christians where we would just be willing to surrender all. You know the freedom that comes from that? 
You know the freedom that comes from total surrender, reckless abandon? And not just freedom, but the peace that comes with that too. Conversely, the turmoil that comes when you try to hold on. There is such a peace that comes when we hold on to loosely to everything in our life. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about that which we hold on to dearly, that which means so much to us. I think it was Corey Tin Boom that said, you know, I've learned to hold on loosely to the things of life, for I know not when they will be required of me. She wasn't talking about material possessions. She was talking about, during the Holocaust, her family, her loved ones. I've learned to hold on loosely to everything, because I don't know if the Lord's going to require them of me. There is such a freedom that comes when you're willing to lose your life, because you'll save it, you'll keep it. You'll gain it. And hold on to things that you hold dearly like this, not like this. What comes when we have such a tight grip on this world and even the things of this world. And to their credit, the Israelites were willing to be all in and lay everything on the line. And God wants us to know their names. So here's what you're going to have to do when you get home, because I did it. You have to read through every single name before you go to sleep tonight. Actually, that'll help you go to sleep tonight, right? (laughs) When you do that. (laughs) So same thing with verses 25 through 36. We have yet another list. This time it's concerning all the villages with their fields outside the city of Jerusalem. Uh, This is interesting. One commentator suggested that These were the ones who were unwilling to move into Jerusalem. Now keep in mind, there's still rubble. There's still ruins. Now the temple's rebuilt. The wall has been rebuilt. The gates have been rebuilt. But still, it's not populated. There's only so many people living inside Jerusalem. It's suggested that maybe they just were unwilling to move into Jerusalem, instead choosing to live on the outskirts because it's more better. (laughs) It's more convenient. You get more land than you would if you were in the city itself. Maybe that's true. Maybe there's some merit to that. But the fact remains that at least they were still willing to give up their lives in order to relocate to Jerusalem. And God wants us to know that they did that and who they were that did that. So chapter 12, we start off again, another list from verse 1 through verse 26. And this one is the names of those returning to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel and Joshua. And what's interesting is now this is a second time that we have this same list by name of those who returned to Jerusalem some 90 years earlier. And God wants us to remember them. And But there's even another, I think, more important takeaway from this repeating of this list, and it has to do with the fact that after 90 years has passed, 
since they left and came to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel, their families are now established there. The next generation and the subsequent generations. Now, why do I point that out? Here's what I'm thinking. They made this decision by faith to relocate to Jerusalem some 90 years earlier. And now their descendants, the next generation, is on the receiving end of the blessing of their decision to do that. You see where I'm going with this, right? This to me speaks to the importance of making godly decisions when it comes to the ramifications for the generations that follow. When we made the decision to come here, we really had to consider uh, the impact that it would have on our uh, children. And we did not make the decision solely on the basis of its economic implications. We made the decision based on the spiritual dynamics. I think oftentimes we make major decisions in life solely on the basis of the economic implications and give no thought to the spiritual ramifications. Here's an example, and I use this again from when I was on the mainland, but I would sit across the counseling desk as a pastor, and I would have these precious people tell me that they're going to uproot and move their family to this new city, and there he's got this job, and I always would ask someone like this, and this wasn't the first time, and it certainly wouldn't be the last time. But I always like to ask, what about the church you're going to attend? Oh, we'll, we'll try to find a church. Wait, what? Wait, what? So you've already made this decision, and once you get there, you're just going to kind of play it by ear? Don't you think the spiritual aspect of this decision should supersede the financial aspect of it. Don't misunderstand me. It's not to say that the financial isn't a factor in the decision-making process, but it shouldn't be the factor in the decision-making process. You can go take this job, and I've seen it happen, where this decision is made, and they get there, and oh yeah, the money is great. Bigger house, nicer car, better pay, and but what expense? At what expense? Learning about the history of Israel brings us new insight into God's faithfulness and ability to use anyone and everyone to accomplish His purposes. We have a God who loves us more than we can imagine and who desires to have us join Him in spreading that love to every corner of the earth. One way in which we can have a great impact is through prayer. Here at In Spirit and Truth, we pray regularly for our listeners, and we ask that you in turn would intercede for us. Please pray that we keep our focus on advancing God's kingdom, and that our hearts would always be open to God's leading. Please join us in praying for those who will tune in to In Spirit and Truth, that they would be touched by God and turn their lives over to Him. Thanks for joining us in this way. 
If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more from Pastor J.D., find us online at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click Listen at the top of the page. Pastor J.D. also has a convenient way for you to stay connected. Yes, I do, Josh. You can download the In Spirit and Truth mobile app on any device and listen anywhere, anytime. Our app includes our studies through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, as well as our Bible prophecy updates. Many are finding the mobile app to be very helpful in this fast-paced world in which we live. To find the link to our app, you can go to inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks, Pastor J.D. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us again for more from Nehemiah right here on In Spirit and Truth.